Greetings and welcome to the first episode of Jesse I Interviews. I'm Jesse I. I'd like to begin by stating that I'm recording this on unceded Indigenous lands, specifically the lands of the Wurundjeri and Boon Wurrung people of the Kulin Nation, lands which are now known as the City of Melbourne in Australia. I want to pay my respects and acknowledge the traditional owners of these lands, past, present and future, because I feel it's important to acknowledge that this always has been and always will be Aboriginal land and sovereignty was never ceded. For those who don't know me, I've been a reggae and dancehall DJ and radio announcer since 1997 when I started a program called Chant Down Babylon on a student radio station called SRAFM back when I was a first year university student at the Royal Melbourne Institute of Technology. I moved to a bigger public broadcaster, PBS FM, in 1999 and I've been with them ever since, though the program name changed to Babylon Burning in 2008. Over that time, I've recorded countless interviews, ranging from legendary names and veterans to total unknowns and upcoming artists. I'm starting this podcast at the suggestion of a couple friends, shout out to Ras Crucial and Top Rank and Yoni, as a way of making some of these old recordings available to the public. Many of the interviews I intend to showcase here have never been heard anywhere before. A lot of them I just never got around to playing on air and they slipped through the cracks and were forgotten. This week's interview is one of these. It's an interview with the singer Cornell Campbell that I recorded in Jamaica in 2003. As these interviews span three decades, you'll definitely hear some changes in my interview style over time, though some of the questions will come to sound very familiar. Honestly, some of the questions and the things I say in the early interviews really make me cringe now, and some of my opinions on things have definitely changed, but I want to present these with as little editing as possible to best capture the true feeling and the exchange at the time. I want to keep these as raw as possible, so the only editing I plan to do is for when something's unpleasant to listen to, like when someone coughs into a microphone or that kind of thing. Occasionally there'll be breaks where mini-disc batteries die or something like that, but I'm even going to leave those in most of the time so you can hear the banter in between and there's also times when the recording might continue for a little while after the interview is officially ended. I wouldn't normally put that sort of material to air on the radio but I'm going to leave it here if it's relevant, if there's anything interesting um, like radio show jingles being recorded. You can think of it as a behind the scenes sort of thing. So to kick things off, I've got an interview that I really enjoyed doing but never got around to broadcasting with one of my all-time favourite singers, Cornell Campbell. This was recorded in Jamaica in either July or August back in 2003. My memory's a little foggy. It was my second trip to Jamaica. When I was in Kingston at this time, I often used to base myself around Black Scorpio Studio on Malines Road. This interview was actually recorded at the back of Black Scorpio, so there's a fair bit of ambient noise in the recording. You can hear a lot of other voices talking in the background. Cornell came to do the interview with the old school DJ Little Harry, and you can hear him interject a few times. Cornell Campbell is also one of the few people that asked me for payment to do an interview. I told him I never pay for interviews, but we did work out a deal for some dubplate specials, which we recorded at Exodus Dubplate Studios after the interview. That's a story on its own, but one better left for another time. So here we go, the first episode of Jesse I Interviews featuring the great Cornell Campbell. I always like to start my interviews at the beginning to see where an artist has come from. Um, so if we can ask you a little bit where you were born, what life was like before you growing well, up as a youth. Well, I was born in Jonestown in you know, Kingston, St. Andrew. Right. And um, from there, I went to uh, Lake Waterhouse. Um, that's Kingston 11. At the tender age of um, 11 years of age, I started out my um, first recording which um, I was inspired by a lot of foreign singers in those early days. Yeah. 
particularly like Nat King Cole, Johnny Mattis, the whole works, Asian Times. Yeah. And a, a friend of mine named Kenneth Samuels intrigued me about recording business because in those days it was one track recording. When I make a mistake, you have to go over it again. Right. And we had um, backup um, musicians like Dan Drummond, Light Nibs, um, you know, Roland Alfonso, Tammy McCook, etc. Yeah. Some old time guys. In my times, can't never really come in yet. But you had um, Rhythm and Blues. Yep. And from Rhythm and Blues to. Um, to till uh, the scale was invented, you know. Yep. Because by. I mean, you know, exploiting the. Um, the rhythm and blues and going around and we buck up on the scale. Yeah. Uh, 1956, I did my first scale recording for Sir Cox and Dombey. Right. right. So you were recording as early as... 11 years old. Was that your first recording? Yeah, yes. My, uh, it, was, it was called My Treasure. Right. And, and you were 11 years old? Yes, a little boy. Right. I did several other songs for Sir Cox and Dombey. But in those days, financial thing wasn't up to standard, you know. Right. Um, producers never really pay your money, big time money, because the business never really mobilized yet neither. Right. It, it wasn't really upfront like international business. Yeah. And um, well, um, I went to other producers such as um, Treasure Isle, yeah. where, where I found a group named Sensations. Me, Jim Riley, a brother named Digo, and Buster Riley. His brother now is the owner of Technics Recording. Right. That's right. Is that Winston Riley? Winston Riley, of course. Right. So we did several each again from there. Sensation, then I move on to Ari Moody, which I found my group named Sensation, um, the, um, the Eternals. Right. Fine. And I went to Sir Cox and Downbeat again with the group, and I did a, a fabulous record named um, Stars. Yeah. Right? Yeah. BW, Queen of the Minstrel. Mm. And several other hits with the Eternals, then I went solo for Bonnie Lee. Right. And well, I did several hits like the Gargan. Um, Duke of Earl, Natty Jura, Greenwich Farm, um, you know them. Yeah. Group yeah. So this would be in the, the 70s now? Is this yeah, that's right, 70s? from 70, uh, 71, 72. Yeah. But 75, uh, 75 are really break out internationally. Mm. Big, big time. Right. Well, just, just going back a little bit um, to when you did that first recording at the age of 11, how did you actually come, like, what, what what led you to be to singing? Okay. How does an 11 year old boy go and well, record um, a I was in school. Yeah. And um, I used to listen to other guys, as I tell you before, mm. and I have this beautiful voice. I used to go to church. As a tender age of 11, as I said before, um, they put me in the church choir, which it was illegal because I was too young to go on a church choir, but they stayed because, through the melodic voice. Yeah. Well, um, as I said, my friend named Kenneth, Kenneth Savills, he was intrigued, you know, he had a lot of um, confidence in me. I didn't have so much confidence in myself as, as a little boy. But he believed that I was great. And he put me among the greatest guys who feel so that I was greater than them when I think I wasn't great like them. Mm. That was my imagination. Um, but he was the one who, um, both of us write this song together named uh, My Treasure. I will write another song named um, um, Old King Cole, which, like you said, Old King Cole was a merry old soul, and a merry old soul was he. It was a nursery rhyme. Yeah. And then, um, when I wrote the song together, um, we went to Sir Cox and Downbeat. We went for audition. In those days, when I go for audition, now, you had a piano. This guy named Ersang, he did, he did um, Ersang, he played the piano. Right. So you have to form a cue. And um, 
Circle is done. Here in the back, when I'm listening to the Russian, we can record for the next yep. recording session. So, um, I, I, um, I, I sang my song. Um, at that time, you had some great singers like the Blue Busters, you have Clancy Eccles, you have the Charmers, you have Alton Hilly Sunday. You come with Alton and Hilly. He wasn't a solo artist at that time. Right, okay. And you have um, Lassell Perkins and Dimple. The Moonlighters again. Who is it again? You have a lot of guys. You know. I can't remember some of them names right, right now. Mm. Owen Gray. Yeah. yeah. But there wasn't much singers in those times. Right. A lot of singers that you see now, they just come on after. Yeah. Such like Ken Booth and the Meters. They, they came a little bit after me. Right, okay. Right? Yeah. And even Derek Morgan came after me. Right. Jimmy Cliff. Because I came at a time when Scan never even came in. Um, I came when we have um, this rhythm and blues thing. Right. It was the boogie and the piano, like like you play the riff. You know, yeah. it was sort of foreign thing, but we bring it down to our Jamaican culture. Yeah. And um, as I said, exploit. Right. And then we till we book up on something interesting that could, I mean, you know, say socialize itself in reggae with, with the Jamaican society. Yeah. And from the end, the skia which was the original Jamaican. From there, so it come, it come off the Mento and the, them old Calypso and stuff. Yeah. Until, well, the reggae came. Well, the reggae is the most outstanding um, beat that is still in existence, even though one, nobody surpassed the reggae beat. Like you say, because in the, in the um, previous days I had, um, ago, we used to invent beats. You, know? yeah. you have a lot of beats, but um, the reggae, nobody invent beyond the um, reggae beat now. It is still um, dominant, yeah. predominant, so. But, but we're still working on other things to come in the future. Right. Yeah. So what was it like for you as a singer? Is, is it changed from the R&B to ska to rocksteady and all those changes as a singer? What was it like adapting to the, to the different rhythms and as the music changed? Well, it, it never really changed to me. You know, I was a versatile character, yeah. a guy who it's an inborn thing, it's not really adapted thing. Like I just um, just a sing because I'm following a pattern or a trend. Yeah. It is something natural, like I, um, I'm versatile. I can, I can sing any type of song in the world. You understand me? If I go to Japan and I hear a beat, I can still go on it. Yeah. Maybe I don't know the language, but I can apply my own Jamaican culture. Right. And it still come out good. I was in Germany recently. And they played an African German beat, and I did a song named um, King and My Empire. And it was it, it doing very well. Uh, you hear about it? No, no. Yeah, yeah, because they didn't know I could do it, because right. it was African with some Congo German stuff, and you know, and German beat as well. Yeah. So it wasn't really entirely reggae, but it's still a sort of reggae that was invented. Mm. And I went there, and I when I sing on it, but they, they were surprised. Out of my head, I just come with something, and it it doing wonderful in Germany now, mm. Germany now. Right. It even reached across Japan now. Yeah. We'll have to check and crack it down that one. Yeah, um, I have a few copies at my house. And if I could meet it like tomorrow, so I could bring a copy come to you. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Well, in the early days, um, like when you're at Studio One, uh, you've told us how you got your inspiration to start singing and everything. Exactly. Um, from there, how did did you did you naturally know how to sing well, or did you get help? Did Coxon help? No, no, I didn't get help. From singing. Singing was a revolutionary thing to me. It was like um, 
you have these guys who really um big time guys as i say like um not cool and yeah. just to mention a few you know because uh, there's so much of them I, I wanted to be in the limelight, so it was a struggle. Yeah. So it wasn't really help. I, I just push out and want to be like them. You know, I wish I was like um, them type of guys the first time, as a little boy. So I tried to be like them. I, I just sing like Elvis Presley, the whole of them. And, um, you know, but the only difference, I, I never like to walk in other people's shadows. I always yeah. want to be original. Yeah. Even if I want to be like them, I don't really mean like singing like them. Yeah. I mean like doing my own thing and they will recognize me. And it was just like that. Um, but it's not really help I get from nobody to really tell me how to sing and all of that. Right. Because I could sing already, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, <coughs> when you got to Bunny Lee's studio, how old were you by that by that stage? I don't remember the, uh, recall the specific age, yeah. but um, um, Bunny Lee was another scenario. Because um, when I met Bunny Lee, I had a band near my um, I used to play in bands, you know? Yeah. As a, um, when, when I dropped singing company. And I, and I took up guitar professionally. And used to just play guitar and back up a lot of recording artists like Derek Morgan, Johnny Clark, Union, Ori Sunday, okay. etc. You know, just playing guitar, toots on the metal, the man stage, and not singing, right? Right. So um, that's why I met Bunny Lee, because um, I had this band, um, Robert Shakespeare used to play in my band. He, he's great now. And Carly from Bob Marley, who was a drummer. Yeah. He died now. He was. Um, you know, the, um, there was in you know band that I had. Mm. Several other guys passed through. Right, sorry about that. Okay, no problem. Back in business. <coughs> right, yeah. So talking about we're just talking about Bunny Lee's studio. And oh, he was asking um, about the band Aggravate. Yes, it, yeah, it was. It belongs to Bunny Lee. Right. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Okay. Um, so was it a Bunny Lee that you did a series of tunes of talking about the Gorgon? Yeah. Can you explain those tunes for, for people in Australia that don't might not know the term the Gorgon? What exactly you mean by that? The mighty conquering Gorgon? Well, the Gorgon, you know, it came at a time when um, Bonnie Lee um, gave me a song to sing named None Shall Escape the Judgment. Right. But Bonnie Lee owed me some money and I never turned up at the recording, so uh -huh. Janet Lark was hanging around. And he said to me, he said, um, I turned him down on several recordings, I never turned up. Right. So Janet Clark um, wasn't really a great singer at that time. And um, Bonnelly said, he said to Bonnelly, said, um, since Carnel not here, he would have done the song. But Bonnelly said to him, said, no, but I don't think you can manage them song. But they worked it out and him said, all right, yeah, man, and Bonnelly gave him a try. None shall escape the, the, um, the judgment. Yeah. So Janet Clark sang it. Mm. And it became a hit when he sang it. So um, I, I, I came back to Bonnelly, talking about her, and Bonnelly um, said to me, you see, if you sing the song, don't shall escape the judgment. You saw to the gun, big climate, Johnny Clark sing it on Johnny Clark, bus and gun. Jamaican terminology. Yeah. So, anyway, I came with other um, recording as well, like um, Natty Greta Gunnish Farm. Mm -hmm. The reason for those things was because when Johnny Clark came with Don't shall escape the judgment, he became like a rival, you know, we started to have rivalry right. between both of us. Like, who can sing the best songs or so, what have you? Yeah, and you were both working for Bunny Lee at the yeah, time. Of course. So when he came with that, no, I came with Gun Court Law, after the same rhythm. Like, none shall escape the Gun Court in this time. See? I when I did that now, Janet Law come with another tune like, Move out of Babylon, Rastama. You know? Yep, yep. So I said, but I said, but you can't sing, man. And me come with, um, me come with, uh, well, I went to a dance 
Mister, well, I went to a dance in a greenish farm. King Tubby's on the dread was there. Right? And Janet like come with um um Jaja in there, me in there. I'm going home and me right hand right. and I sang now. I say, all right, you see, all on a go on. I made a gag and I do all the dance, you know. Because I can't touch me, you know. So me just come with a big tune and say, I'm the gargan in a this year dance. But when I say I'm the gargan, I mean not them me talking. You know? It was a sort of rivalry thing. Yeah. But you want to know them, you're the king in the whole thing. You're the gargan, them can't get you out. So I say, coming from the north with my face to the south, I'm quite sure I can knock you out. I'm the gargan in a this year dance. I'm the gargan. You dig me? Yeah. It was something like that. Yeah. And we went on, you know, doing ri rivalry against each other all the time. Seen against one another and stuff like that. Yeah. I came with, you know, several it record. Can't remember some of them now. <laughs> yeah. Um the other the other tunes that I want to ask you about is you did a series of tunes called Queen of the Minstrels yeah. and um the Minstrel as well, like a similar tune but sort mm. of slower. Um that was was that Curtis Mayfield um, no, no, based no, no. on? No, no, no. no? It was originally written by me. Stars yeah. was written by me. The one, why when the stars yeah. stop I wrote it. Right. I get inspiration for those songs. Well, um, Johnny Nash came with a tune in Move and, Move and Groove. Right. And it impressed me very, very much. I used to sing it in my band, you know. I want to sing this song just like, like Johnny Nash. And I used to get a lot of applause, burn down the place with them, them soul tune. Yeah. But, um, two Johnny Nash impressed me at that particular time with Move and Groove. I wanted something similar, like um, to go into the same side, side, side of flow. So I uh, had this group named the Turtles, yeah. and I sat down with my guitar and I bang and I said, because those type of singing was taking on, you know. So I'm come with, I'm say, why when the stars stop shining, it brings dark cloud. It was at night, you know. Right. Um, and I sit down and you have a train line and the stars, and everything, I'm, I'm a box guitar, I'm just all right. Why when the stars stop shining? You know, I never really completed the same night. But I get idea and write it down and then I come back and I, what don't sound good to me, I take it out and put it in until I get it perfect. Yeah. And same thing with Queen of the Minstrel. Yeah. It was written by me and one of the acts a while ago, which was um um when they asked me about it, it was written by me, but I can't remember the name. Yeah. That you read it. So just a while ago. Uh, well, obviously, the songs that you've written, you've got the songs, beautiful love songs. You have songs for the dance hall, yes. culture songs, um, the whole, the whole spectrum of. Reggae. For the old scenario, well, yeah. I'm not a one-track-minded singer. <clears throat> Sorry, I love to sing for the world yeah. and for people and in different moods and different directions. I don't just like to sing for one type of people, like us wasn't. I like to sing for the dance hall. And if you hear me again, I'll soul to you. Know. Right. Right? So you have different moods, different things that you can relax your mind to. Right. Yeah. So how do you decide what to write on? Where does the inspiration for your songs, where, do, where does that all come from? By God, you know. Yeah. The Almighty God, who is Jehovah. Oh, I write my song, you know. I just write half inspiration, half natural things. Um, many of the songs that I write never really mean nothing to me. Like, them never really written half of me. I never really write a song half of myself, like to write a song half of myself. But I just look at other people's life, just sit down and imagine I have a guitar man and a pen and a book. And I start to look out and stare into space. And I just imagine say, somebody could have a box up and down. And I say, you're boxing over here and you're boxing over there. I'm going to start right. right. You understand me? Yeah, yeah but, but it's not really me, it's other people in life. You know? Right. 
Yeah. Right. Speaking of um, Jehovah, you praise, I praise Jehovah. Jehovah. Right. I praise, Can you I explain? Jehovah is a God of all gods. Him is the um, supernatural force, all power. Through the, the power, you know, that he presented here. Right. But I don't worship man like myself as God. Any man that breed like me, and eat like me, and drink like me, can't have a God. Because right. we desire the same thing. It's like a car. A car needs fuel if it doesn't have a gas, it can't run by itself. So the car can't be God. Neither statue can't be God. Because if you make a statue and you put him in a one position, him can't move him. If you don't move him and turn him around, so him can't move, so him can't be God. Right? Neither the water can't be God. The sun and the moon can't be God because they're the and, and, and work of God, and made through creation, he presented them. Right. So God is just God. Him is not man. Him is, him is God. A power to the universe who create lightning and thunder and, and the whole universe. Life. And life. Right. right. So do you call yourself a Rasta? Or you, you if you want to call me a Rasta, that is no problem, you know. You call me a Rasta. But I don't get into things that I don't understand. Right. I, I don't think that I understand. I understand that Jehovah God is God of all gods. So I just respect him as God. Right. You understand me? Yes. Yeah. Respect. Um, as someone that's um, been in the business from the start of reggae music and before, right through till today, what do you think about the state of reggae music as it is right now? Reggae music, um, as you know, is a good uh, music. In the early days, we had the real roots thing, like in the studio, they have the drum and bass, real life record things. Yeah. It was more fascinating to me, more than uh, artificial thing, you know, where a man going to the studio and you overdub some little pong, 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 and make it sound like computerized stuff, which is not really a natural thing. The natural thing is when a guy plays with him, when ability with him, integrity, in mind, in vision, and in soul and spirit. And when you look at something, so pong, pong, I pick up a can in span. A, you know what I mean? Or even two stone together, it goes a clock. Anything that can make sense. And, and it, it, it presents a special, um, you know, thing, quality. And usual quality. Yeah. To the beat, like in the whole time days when um, Lee, um, Lee Perry yeah. used to do them thing there. Um, this guy named Treasure Isle Guy, Dupree used to do it before, you know. He used to do it, you know, percussion, stuff like that. He just knock all two buckles, so, clock, right. clock. It, it from a long time ago, it was happening. But those are the things that really fascinate me. When they make a mistake and you come back again and get it perfect and I mean, you know. Well, um nowadays, you know, it changed, you know. Mm. That is not saying that it's not good enough. I'm not when you say that you don't have good music today, you know. Because you have good music today. Yeah. But it becomes more commercialized. And everybody do it now for them ways and it, and it's, it don't really have the, the, the quality in it again. Mm. You might see the French them singing reggae. And the British them singing reggae, but um, them don't do it that the real original. Them them stray from the grassroots. And doing it now for a commercial thing, like with our fast food. Mm. So this fast food thing don't really sound so good to me. So fascinating to me when I hear it. Because I know it's just a makeup thing, just you just press a, a button on the computer. Um something got ting ting and you just program you don't have no no ability. Right. Yeah. But out of the world of them, sometimes you find even one good one. But that don't mean you, yeah, you still have good music. Right. Yeah, but uh, I still prefer the whole time. Uh, right. The record because it's yourself. Approach for yourself, you know. When I go into the studio the first time, 
and I went to do a record and it portrayed Colonel Campbell. It is me, because I showed the music and what to play. I said, play the bass line, boom, 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 and give me the Hispanic piano, and it's me. No idea, they don't do that again. I'm a manual maker with him. And I said, boy, I'm going to invite Spanner with him. I have to try to find a tune for fit the rhythm. Yeah. Sometimes I don't like it, but sometimes it does beat. Because sometimes it's a gamble, too, you know. Because mm. um, sometimes you have to play what the world want, 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 want you to play. Yeah. Yeah, so just um, stuff like that. Well, what about the, um, the message in reggae music? It looks to, from an outside perspective. Um, through the 80s, it seems like the message and the music changed a lot and a lot of the roots and culture was lost. And These days, it seems to have come back a bit with artists like Luciano, Garnet Silk, Tony Rebel, through Susan and Tableton. What do you think about the, the messages in reggae music through time? Well, um, <clears throat> you have good messages even now, right? So, um, and I went to the grid, the business for say. You don't have no good music. Um, because if you degrade um, the lyrics, you're going to degrade some good artists too. True. Right? Who will really have potential and ability. Yeah. But um, I believe that time changed and you have to live with the time too. Once ago, when we portrayed the real roots, you know, it was what happened in those times. We see. When a man sings about a woman and underneath a woman and all them tongue things, it don't really sound good to me and to the public. To people who um, have high intelligence, who are trying to bring up them children. Them. And um, you're sending your daughter to high school and I spend a lot of money for her to become a liar or whatever you. And then you shall listen to something explicit. But on the other hand, because it's two and you have, you, know, you have to realize that um, many of them talking the truth. You know, is what really happened them talking, it, as they wouldn't say it. Right? When the DJ them talk about another woman, it's true them talking and a lie. But the only thing is that. Um, I think um, those songs shouldn't really um, mobilize yourself and motivate yourself in the public, in certain society where you have decent crowd. You know what I mean? In other words, if you go on a bus in Jamaica, you sometimes the minibus man play all them songs and the teacher them in the bus. That is totally, I'm a total against those things. But if a man in a bedroom or a certain place and want to play those songs, oh no big deal, it's not bad. Because privacy. Yeah. But not to be in the open public like that. A man, I play a big set over here, some, some church people live us on, some decent people live us on. I'm blasted up loud, loud. And I'm singing about, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. But what but, but, but I'm singing is true. Yeah. Looking back over your career, um, are there any tunes that you're particularly proud of from your catalogue? I know it's a hard task. So it's, a, it's a hard task. Because some song that I. Um, just do a simple song. They were recognizing as a big song. And I have to listen them back again. Mm. And I said, was I really doing this? <laughs> and um, some of them that I work hard on, them, them never really come out to be excellent. When I say they never come out to be excellent, they're excellent to me, but sometimes I'm a person who give a deaf ears. And um, some of them, and some, you know, you just go around. Yeah. But I try to do the best I can. Yeah. What I do all the time, I do the best thing I can do. I, I don't do nothing and, and do it halfway. And I know it don't sound good. I try to do it the best. Because the best is me. Right. Yeah. Respect. And I never going to listen to it. Yeah, and it's going to be here for a long time. And you can't erase it again. Yeah? It have to be here, so I've, I try to just do it good. Yeah.
Well, um, looking back, is there, are there any memories that stand out particularly for you over the last several decades? There's a whole heap from the beginning. If a man singing from 1956, most of all that memory. I know. But all of them are going all on this tape right now. Sure. You know? It would have to be another session. Yeah. Because there's so much um, dropouts. Like um, um, fellow musician colleagues who you, even Bob Marley was a good friend of mine. In the old days when Bob Marley, my sister used to sing with them as I um, swallowed, you know, mm. with Rita Marley and stuff. And why, why I said Bob? Because Bob, um, I'm used to quarrel over religion sometimes. Right. But the reason why I quarrel over religion because, um, like Bob would have said to me, he said, um, the witches of sin is death. So when a man see them dead, same time. Bob used to believe, said that um, when a man die, like if a, if a man die right, all right? Suppose he can't eat on a man or anything. <clears throat> Bob Marley believes he has seen the man sin, why he can't lick him down? Right. If the man never seen none at all, he can't lick him down. And I said to Bob Marley, he said, no, nah, man. When God said the witches of sin is dead, he never means that you're dead, same time. But we first parents them in, in um, ancestral time, Asian time. Who them term as Adam and Eve then, right? Yeah. As a figure of speech. The first of the people them that was here, when them disappear, God, God um, take away things from them. Like, um, you know, shot them days, them don't live again for eternal life. And them, um, him said the wages of sin is death. That means that they going to die, they're not going to live again forever. But that don't necessarily mean they're going to kill at the same time. Yeah. But you're dying because you're getting old. And there's lots of process. You natural causes of death, all kind of death, but you die with sickness, brother. Mm. But Bob never wanted to believe those things. So I will look at being a quarreling. But he was one of the great guys who me believe. Me and quarreling would agree, but we never really keep malice. Even Bob quarrel right now, if I walk down the road, I'm saying, what I'm calling? And I'm saying, yell up, Bob, and I say, we're going to really keep malice and stuff like that. But um, when I came with, um, when I came with the Gargan, Bob, um, Bob Marley never bust that time, you know, right? And Bob, here that, him listen to the Gargan. And, and then I came with the Ginnagagan. For Bonnelly, I tune him. If you want to be on the right track, don't fight against the Ginnagagan. And Bob listened to him. And then Bob write a tune in Rat Race. But he was talking to me specifically when him said, Some Gargan, some Ginnagagan. In a day, a rat race. So me, my bunny Lee said to me, say, why make Bob Marley sing, sing against him, both the gargan and them Hands him back. But me never know, so Bob Marley was going bust, you know. So me say, no, man, I'm not going answer them singer there, you know. Because the man feel too important. And when I went to England in 1975, Bob Marley covered Kesha for your album and bust. And it did too late for hands him back, I'm never going to answer him back again. But it's come with several gargan, like, root the gargan, the ruler. Etc. Etc. I will leave a garden. Yeah. Until Ninja Man take it over now and say my garden. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But him they really know. Him don't really know the original garden. That's it. Yeah. Because I'm me the original garden. Yeah. Them are just um come up garden. You know. But I said them a garden. Yeah. But I'm just loading. Yeah. Well, um, are there any other artists in the industry that you particularly respect? Yes, man. You have some decent artists. Artists who really live up. Lift up the banner. Yeah. But I can't remember them now because. But you have guys like Ken Booth, who is a real, real. Um, you know? Yeah. And various other artists. Yeah. What big man them them, them, them? them sing good culture music. They're not immoral. And they, they struggle with the reggae business to keep it up to, up to stand up. Yeah. Like myself. Some of them keep it, they carry it down. Why with Austin and the previous? Yeah. Them carry it down, you know? I'm going to get look cheap. 
Yeah, but we don't do that. We have to keep it up. Yeah. So what have you been working on lately? Uh, we got a tune just recently on the Free Willy label with Beanie Man and a Big Herb tune. Oh, you know I bought that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Big Herb tune. He playing up there? Yeah. In Australia. Okay, that's great because yeah. um, we only just got it before we left, so we didn't okay, have um, time to play it long. But that song, you had come about now. Yeah, Bonnelly. Um, no, not Bonnelly. Um, Arthur Whale. Sorry. Was a, Arthur Whale was a producer, and he's 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 him sent somebody to call me to do a recording for him. So when I went to the studio, I write a love song, and the engineer said to me, "Say, Colonel, you said the rhythm." Don't sing a love song for really now. You know? It's too tame. More I sing something different. So I wrote a song about the economy. Right? And it sounds good. But being a man and general, no. Me and general moved at Bridge, right? So general was there. And general, and being a man came in and being a man said, when being a man was listening to it, he said, why not sing something different? I do all that a combination. The three of us, because general was there. And I say, yeah, man. So, um, I give them my song for make them hear it and um, come in with a different part for themselves. Mm -hmm. But when Beanie Man see the lyrics, he say, Colonel, nobody sing this man. Sing something about um, even I uh, sing something immoral. But man, I got call the name over the um, <laughs> over this now. But something immoral, him say, yeah. explicit. Him say, if I sing them the song, I sing about drugs and so. You know, not now go on, you know. So me can't say it over and say. Alright, my question working out working. So me take back the paper from them. Um, I mean, me never have nothing for sing now, you know. So John will try to find the lyrics now. And him him him, him, him was singing about sense. Uh indica, some kind of weed. Mm -hmm. But that wasn't the up to date weed at that time. Right. So a man a man in the shoulder said, John, no man, I sing that man, sing about high grade. High grade I run things now, you know. And John will start find a line like him say, I smoke, I grade every day. Him start get that. But being a man did a final line now about um, um one pound a day can't hold me, two pound a day can't control me. But me never have nothing for sing. Because me me that try to sing my nice love tune thing. Yeah. So me go one side now and Janet Jan, um being a man a verse and John will verse for them side. And me over my side a verse with a pen. I miss it. I'm going to start get some ideas. I never call no weed. I say, I smoke it every day. And some stuff and get some lyrics of myself. They never know what I was going to sing. You know? So when I um, when say, take one recording. Being man, I don't know what I was going to sing. Because if them hear what I was going to sing, they would have fit in for them things to what I was singing. But I never want to hear it neither. Right? Some people say, and them laugh. You know? <laughs> and being a man said, general, them say, Colonel, can't be some man in the light here in a body. Um, listen when him, I write him song to me. You know, he just said that. Uh, yeah. Auntie. So when the recording gone, now, be the man coming and John will come in and then me just come in. I smoke it every day. And him say, boom, boom. Boy, it gone. And it was good recording. Bad, bad tune. I want to come on, come and uh, listen it. And the playback, be the man, please, and John will feel please. And everybody start real up. That's what really come about. Nice. Yeah. It's an excellent recording. Mm. So what else have you been working on lately? Well, I have some songs um, that I'm working on now. But really, uh, I wanted to come with an album. Yep. <clears throat> but I'm going to uh, England. I maybe you United States to see if I can get a good deal for an album. Right. Yeah, but I just have the lyrics then put on. Yeah. Nice. So what sort of album? Dealing with all the, all, the whole spectrum again? 
Um, music for all like roots. Yeah. Well, roots. Roots. Um, everyday living. Yeah. Everyday life and, and thing. But generally, when I do a roots rhythm, um, LP, I don't really just sing all it in a roots. You know? I sing maybe one and two love songs on it. Yeah, yeah. To flavor it up as a word. Yeah. All right, well, um, to wrap things up, is there any message, an overall message you'd like to pass on to the people in Australia, all the reggae fans back in Melbourne? Oh, yes, I adore Australian people very, very much. And I'm well pleased <clears throat> for all you beautiful people. I mean, pa um, um, you know, buying my record and supporting me for all the years. I really respect that. And, and I wish that I'd be able to come to Australia one day to, to put on a very beautiful show for you. Yes. All the people, fans, big up. Big up Australia. People who love Cornell Campbell. Yo! Yes, Cornell, give thanks. Yeah. A pleasure. Yeah. Well, there's a little area. Yeah, big up with Eric. Bless. We have on video camera yesterday, yeah. did a jingle for us and on the mini disc as well. Okay. Um, yeah, would it be alright to get a jingle? Would it be possible to get a jingle for the radio show? You want it now? Well, we could either that or if we if we could do dub plates, we could always do it in the studio. Yeah. We're going to do the dub plates. Um, if we can do them here, we can do them here. I could do, you could do the Exodus, you know. Exodus? Uh -huh. yeah, we could. Come on. Alright. Let's go. So there you have it. Jesse I interviews Cornell Campbell back in 2003. I hope you enjoyed that. I particularly enjoyed the insight into his rivalry with Johnny Clark. I've got a question which I'd love your help with. When I'm interviewing people and they mention specific songs, would you like to hear a snippet of the song in question or would you prefer to just hear the interview unbroken and uninterrupted? I'm inclined to go with the latter. I think I'd leave the song snippets for radio uh, when I play interviews there, but I'd still like to hear what you think, so please let me know. And if you do have any other feedback you'd like to send me, feel free to send that in as well. You can email me at jesse at chantdown.com. That's jesse, J-E-S-S-E, at chantdown.com. Or link me on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash jesse i, or on Instagram at morefireblaze. Also, if you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and please leave it a good review on whatever podcast listening app you use. I don't use iTunes myself, but I'm told that positive iTunes reviews really help extend the reach of a podcast. So that would be great. If you'd like to tune in to my weekly reggae radio program, Babylon Burning, it is still on PBS FM every Saturday evening from 5 to 7 p.m. If you're in Melbourne, Australia, you can listen live on 106.7 FM, or if you're anywhere else in the world, you can tune in via pbsfm.org.au. Normally it's vintage music in the first hour and new music in the second. If you can't tune in to listen live, there's an archive of the last six months of programs there you can listen back to at any time. You can also see playlists of the show dating back to 1997 on my website, which is chantdown.com. Please listen again next week as I bring you another interview from 2003, this time with the legendary Rasta DJ Big Youth. That's it for this week. Give thanks. Eyes is every time. As I lift my sails, from whence cometh my health, my health is coming from the Almighty Jah. Who bless Rascal with the spiritual fire for burn out some selector boy, Dutty Island Powder and John, some of them in the Jordan River, Hill King Selassie, the true life giver. Big up original Jesse I and all of the Melbourne crew, Australia, straight from out of Jamaica, St. Chant, them down sound. Colonel Campbell, Lee Clarice, on the one Original. What a cha cha cha, shut down sound. I Colonel Campbell say so. La 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 What a ta 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 We mash you down We mash you down Chant down sound Yeah 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 You come with your dogs 
But remember, child, don't shout. Where must you don't, yeah? Where must you don't?